This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 51-inch. On this week's episode, we interview New York Times Magazine staff writer Sam Anderson, the journalist behind the incredible Weird Al profile. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Hello, Dave. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 51-inch. Hello, Ethan. Welcome to you, too. Thank you. So, Ethan, I know we always are encouraging our listeners to give us a call on our 347 spatula hotline. This week, I figured, you know, we should check our official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast mailbox. We have an official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast mailbox? Yes, we do. And look, we actually have a letter in here. Let's see. It is from, oh, the Canadian Podcast Commissioner. Open it. Open it. Okay. Okay. Hold on. What do you got there, Dave? Oh, it's the ratings. Don't tell me we actually made the list. We're number one. Say what? We beat the networks. This is unbelievable. Look at these notes. We got three episodes in the top five. Last week's episode with Chris Blue went through the roof. Do you know what this means? We're finally going to make some real money. Ethan, we're the number one podcast in town. Seriously, though, this is not entirely a joke. It has come to our attention that our podcast has been trending in the comedy interview category in Japan. So thank you to all of our Japanese listeners. We have a special message just for you. Nay, anato no kane, itachi ga amaras. Dave, I've got an idea. Let's redo our intro in Japanese. I love that you happen to speak fluent Japanese. This is Dave. And I am here with Isan, and together we are Dave and Isan no 2000 inchi Al Yankovic Patsogetso. Oi! Herana Danwa Danwa Gaikate Erayodeso! Hi, Dave and Ethan. It's Trevor Fon here in Schenectady, New York. I am so happy to have been able to contribute to yours, Kelly's, Bermuda's, and other great people's collections with a few hashtag Weird Al Seriously stickers that I picked up at a public library conference. Enjoy! Love you guys! On with the show! Hi, Dave and Ethan. It's UH Jeff. I'm just looking over this New York Times article and staring at these photos. As you may know, I was at the photo shoot, and I just wanted to call and give you my review. Origato! Hoka! Warrior! Hey, Dave and Ethan. It would be great if you could talk a little bit about Al's Japanese exclusive CDs, LPs, cassettes, and those mini-discs. Back when I was just a little teeny tiny little boy, I watched the Showtime complete out, and my mind was blown when they showed Al in Japan. And then the book came out, the authorized Al, and it showed pictures of all of his Japanese albums. I immediately went to the library, found a Tokyo radio station's address, wrote him a letter asking if they had anything they could send me. Six months later, I got the Japanese Dare to be Stupid, LP, and they sent along three of the Japanese promo stuff introducing the album. That was the day that I knew my mission was to gather 
every single Japanese Al exclusive that was out there. So if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for that message, Kenneth. We will take any opportunity to talk about the amazing Japanese items that we have in our collections. Now, I don't remember what my first Japanese Weird Al item was, but they are absolutely some of my most favorite pieces to collect because of how unique the album art is and the track listing on the compilation albums, and not to mention that some of the songs are only available on the Japanese versions of the studio albums. Ethan, do you remember what your first Japanese Weird Al piece was? I absolutely do. So I agree with Kenneth and you. I love the Japanese items. Really, any any foreign items are great, but the Japanese items are just, there's, you know, like you said, there's special compilations and there's special artwork. So, so the first one I got, this was intended to be kind of a combo for my collection, you know, early on, I got the Japanese Alpalooza because it had the red artwork, but also because it has the rare Japanese version, or rare at the time, Japanese version, where Al sings the lyrics in Japanese, Jurashiku Park. So I loved that album. I was so thrilled to get to hear the song in Japanese. And that really was just the beginning of my Japanese collection. <laughs> I'm sure it's not as extensive as yours or Kenneth's, but you know I have a lot of the great singles and 45s and the compilation albums. And of course, I, th I think the second thing I got was the Saga Begins CD. Yeah, that Saga Begins CD is pretty cool. I just got a little note about Jurassicu Park is that I actually don't think I knew that there was a Japanese version of Alapalooza that contained that. And the first time I heard Al sing that song in Japanese was on the Bad Hair Day tour in 1997. For one of the verses, he just sang the entire verse in Japanese. And then I <laughs> later found out that there was actually a full song of just him singing Jurassic Park in Japanese. And I think that's when I tried to find that, like back in 1997. Good luck finding that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but eventually did get it in my collection. And I was like, I'm very, you know, I, I think I ended up probably getting a bootleg version of it first. And then I tracked it down and, and eventually did re get it on you know cd as well and now it's on medium rarities from the squeeze box set right yeah so it's, it's actually really accessible for people now you know what else i am reminded that on the strings attached tour this most recent tour he actually sang the entire jurassicu park one evening <laughs> yeah i remember allison and jeremy gave us a call on the spatula hotline telling us about i of the one show that we missed on that tour dave we missed Jurassic know, right? Park. <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun. We saw a lot of great stuff. On yeah, the tour. But did. yeah, that would have been cool to see. Absolutely. That would have been a good one to see. <laughs> so that Saga Begins album, though, I mean, that one was released like in 2000. That was only on CD. That was an interesting one. That just kind of came out of nowhere for me. One thing I do remember about that album is it actually contained a computer file on it, a computer video of the Saga Begins video. And I think that was like may have been one of the first times that video was available. Wow. The other interesting piece about that is actually if you open up the CD and you look the Japanese lyrics in it for It's All About the Pentiums. They contain some footnotes and stuff explaining some terms that the Japanese might not be familiar with, like the term troll and spam and alt.totalloser and even Cracker Jacks. And that's all like in <laughs> Japanese, so you have to be like fluent in Japanese like me to understand it. That's so great. Another one of my favorites is the 
Hood or the Food album. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this one comes to mind because maybe a couple years ago I bought it because it's like, oh man, I, I've always wanted this and I bought it on eBay. And this is a, a big reason that I need to organize my collection because as I was putting it away, I realized I already had it. <laughs> I don't know how long I had it, but, you know, I, I really need to uh, sort my stuff. So now I've got two The Hood or Food albums. <laughs> that one, it took me a really long time to track that one down because I didn't even know if I believe that it actually existed for the longest time <laughs> because here's this like i mean if you look at this album if you don't know what it looks like go look it on up online it's the food album in japanese and it's got this alternate cover on it and it's just such a wacky cover it's actually if you're familiar with the album for the bodyguard the soundtrack for that it's a parody of that basically but it's really like interesting and because the japanese they don't really from what i understand have a sound for an f their f sound i guess sounds like an h so that's why they call it the hood album rather than the food album <laughs> because they can't say food in their language <laughs> you know i think you know what you were saying about it's very bizarre artwork i almost feel like if you weren't familiar with this you may not think it's official it just it looks like some weird thing someone put together online. It's so different than anything else that Alice put out. It's really unique cover art, and I think that's why I love it so much. Let's talk about Al's very first product that was ever released exclusively outside the United States, and that is the Japanese album Eat It. And I'm not talking about the single. There's actually an album called Eat It. <laughs> this one has that amazing artwork of Al eating the hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Which I remember first seeing that on Al's website in Bermuda's Rare Stuff section. And ever since I saw it, I was like, I need to have this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that artwork is absolutely amazing. It just It's so random. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's obviously looking like Michael Jackson, but I guess this is a parody of the Thriller album. But why is he eating a hot dog? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's Eat It, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> so that Eat It album, that came out in May of 1984. Well, just one month later, in June of 1984, there was a second album that was released in Japan, and that is called The Official Music of Weird Al Yankovic, Al Hits Tokyo. And if you're familiar with the cover, you may see it also referred to as the L-I-E-F album, the Life album. It's actually a parody <laughs> of Life magazine. Yeah. It looks like a cover art from could be on Life magazine. And what's interesting about this one is it has two exclusive tracks at the time, and that was Eat It Without Vocals, your, the instrumental version, and the extended mix of I Lost on Jeopardy, the long version. You know those like brain teaser puzzles or the optical illusion things? This Life cover spelled L-I-E-F. I didn't notice that it was spelled L-I-E-F for years. Until <laughs> <So> someone, <laughs> I saw it like written somewhere else and I was like, oh, they have a typo. And then I looked up the actual cover. I'm like, oh, it is L-I-E-F. How did I not notice that? <laughs> it's like the Mandela effect or the Berenstain Bears effect, right? Right, right. <laughs> You're just so used to seeing it one way, you didn't realize that it was misspelled all these years. Totally went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> and now, obviously, I can't unsee it. It's so obvious, but it's just... <laughs> right, it's only a giant block letters. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where, you, you know, your brain just fills in the blank. Thanks for you. <laughs> Let's talk about this other one, which is just one of the most bizarre 
Weird Al arts, but also one of the most amazing Weird Al arts. And that's, of course, the Hooked on Polkas. Oh, the Hooked on Polkas single. Yeah, that was like just out of nowhere. There was a single for a polka out of all things, and it was <laughs> released exclusively in Japan. And I think that was the first Al single that was ever exclusive to a foreign country i mean i'm looking at the cover art right now he's got like a, a mini accordion on his finger there's like a plunger pushing his brain back in his head there's like a, <laughs> a duck with a superhero emblem breathing fire it, <laughs> it's so crazy i want a t-shirt of that art that is just like the coolest official art i think of any foreign release yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love collecting stuff from Japan. Just the different artwork and the really cool designs that they come up with. There's a couple more things I do want to talk about. I mean, I feel like we could talk about, you know, Japanese releases for an entire episode, but I don't want to do that because we have a great guest lined up for this episode. But I do want to talk about, since Kenneth brought it up, those three-inch CD singles, those maxi discs. Yeah. Those are really cool. Do you have any of those, Ethan? I don't know if I have any of those. If I do, I, I believe I have maybe one. But I, you know, those are something I definitely have wanted for a long time. Yeah, I don't remember how I tracked these down, but I tracked these down pretty early in my collecting career, and I very rarely see them come up. Now there are three of them. There's one that is fat, and it has Velvet Elvis on it, and the other one is lasagna, and it has Good Old Days on it. And then the third one that came out was UHF, and that also has Money for Nothing slash Beverly Hillbillies asterisk on it. And this one actually <laughs> has an asterisk on the song. Wow! So actually, <laughs> usually you don't see it even in the official releases with the asterisk, but it actually is there on this one. In your digital library of Al songs, do you have the asterisk in there? I always have the asterisk in there because it's the official name of the song. <laughs> I'm checking right now on my phone to see if I have it. <laughs> if you go to my website, weirdal.info, and you look at my collection, or if you had access to my phone and you look through my Weird Al collection of songs, you would see that I always add the asterisk <laughs> for that song. Mine, I, I, I just looked, mine does not have it. But I did realize, <laughs> I can't remember what it was. The other day I was texting you about the spelling of a song, and mine was incorrect on my phone. So I think... You know, the iTunes auto fill thing, maybe messed it with a couple of these, but it's a good reminder. I'm going to go back in there and add that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always, always change the uh, iTunes default from whatever it is to the real <laughs> song name. I know that you do, Dave. You didn't have to tell me that. I, I would have assumed that. <laughs> you know, Ethan, this reminds me, actually, uh, since we're talking about my collection, I have a binder full of some newspaper and magazine clippings that I've yet to actually catalog because a lot of it I'm still trying to research and find out where they came from. Hmm. And I must have maybe two dozen or so Japanese clippings, and I have no idea where they came <laughs> from. I have no idea what they say, and I have, like, I think they're from, like, the mid-'80s, early-'80s. Wow. But beyond that, I can't, like, narrow it down to a specific year, let alone a specific date. So I'm going to put this out there. Maybe I should just send them off to Kenneth because he seems to have his act together with the Japanese stuff. But <laughs> I'm going to put this out there. If anyone can help me you know, catalog and find out where these Japanese clippings came from, that would be so awesome because they've been sitting in my binder of stuff to be entered for years just because I have not been able to figure out where they came from. 
I am super interested to see those. I hope someone takes you up on that offer. Uh, You know, Dave, shortly after learning that our podcast was trending in Japan, I bought a plane ticket. Uh, Isan, I thought we weren't quite ready to announce our big live UHF screening event in Japan yet. Oh, uh, no, Dave, the plane ticket isn't to Japan. Oh, okay. Well, where is it to? Uh, To Seattle. Oh, cool. You know, we had so much fun in Seattle on the Strings Attached Tour. I'll make sure you visit the Bubblegum Alley and check and make sure that the pieces of bubblegum that we put there are still on the wall. So where are you flying out of? You coming down to New York? No, the ticket's from Chicago to Seattle. Oh, okay. So uh, when are you actually planning to take this flight? 1996. Well, that's convenient because now you can actually carry with you your vial of Smells Like Nirvana water. Wait, this is just confusing. Why the heck did you buy a plane ticket from Chicago to Seattle in 1996? Well, it's actually Weird Al's plane ticket. (laughs) You bought Weird Al a plane ticket? I don't think he's going to be able to use it. First of all, it's not in your name. It's from 1996. You know, the airline, (laughs) they're really sticklers about that kind of stuff. He did use it. He was flying from his show in Ann Arbor, Michigan on September 25th, 1996 to his show in Yakima, Washington on September 26th, 1996 for the Bad Hair Tour. Wait, he went from Michigan to Washington in back-to-back shows in like one night? (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. And I was talking to Kenneth And he was actually at that show in Yakima, Washington. And that was the first time his wife, Erin, got to meet Al. That is so cool. I'm just really perplexed, though. I mean, how do you get all your equipment from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Yakima, Washington in one night? Did they have to, like, put it on a plane? Did they have a backup set of equipment in Washington? It's just so many questions. I just don't know. See, Dave, this is why... We're such good friends because I buy Weird Al's plane ticket from 1996. And you don't question that. You question how he got (laughs) from Michigan to Seattle. (laughs) There's no question. Like, why did you buy a piece of paper? (laughs) It's just come to expect it from you. You know, it's just something we do (laughs) as collectors. That's right. But how do you know it's actually Al's ticket? Well, it has his name on it. It says Al Yankovic in two different places. And not only that, he autographed the ticket. Oh, cool. (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) Uh, But he didn't (laughs) autograph it to me. I mean, I think he autographed it back in 96 to someone named Justin. (laughs) So it says, hi, Justin, Weird Al Yankovic. And it is American (laughs) Airlines for those of you at home uh, (laughs) interested So what, now I have to start calling you Justin? Well, either that or I need to change my name or maybe I can erase the ink off of here. Whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot erase the ink off of that. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Because that's defacing historical documents. I wrote that. (laughs) Even though it's not your name, you wrote Justin on there. You can't just erase it. Yeah, but if it erases off, you know, I won't erase his autograph. No, but it's he wrote that. That's historical. Once he writes something, it has to stay there. I mean, you can have him come and cross it out and write your name over top of it, but you can't 
erase it <laughs> on your own. You need Al's permission to erase that. So if I got his permission, I could do it. Or he could erase it, like if I brought him the ticket. I think it would be better if he erased it himself. Okay. I don't think you can erase it. I mean, I guess if you had like a note from him that was, you know, signed and notarized and said <laughs> you have permission to erase it, that would be okay. But to do it on your own? No, you need Al's permission in order to touch that document. Well, I am touching it, but I understand what you mean. I think what I'll do <laughs> next time I have a chance to meet Al, I will ask him to change Justin to Ethan. And he did write it in bubble letters, so it's going to be a little bit harder, but I have some ideas on how he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that, and I hope that I do get to eventually see that ticket, because <laughs> that sounds like a great find to your collection. I'm actually a little jealous. <laughs> So where did you actually get this ticket? I bought on eBay. <laughs> oh, great. Another thing you bought on eBay. I wonder if the guy who sold it to you has actually recorded a Weird Al tribute album in the 90s. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> well, what are you going to do with this piece of amazing history? Well, I figure I'm going to get it insured. I know just the guy who can insure for you. This week's episode is brought to you in part by the Don Ferlazzo Allstate Agency in Clifton Park, New York. If you drive like crazy or about to buy you a condo, Don Ferlazzo and his team can help you with crazy good auto, home, and renter's insurance. Plus, the Ferlazzo Agency can protect all your priceless plane tickets from 1996. You may think your insurance is good enough for now, but don't wait one more minute. Find the Ferlazzo Allstate on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or call 518-278-3543 for a free quote today. The Ferlazzo Agency. We sell insurance, and that's all. So, Dave, I was watching my favorite TV show this week, Better Call Saul, and I caught what could be arguably considered a Weird Al reference. Nope, nope, nope. No spoilers. No spoilers. Jackie and I have not watched it yet. No spoilers. Uh, okay, I understand that. No spoilers for anyone listening, but I will say one character mentions replacing another character's shampoo with Nair, just like in I Remember Larry. Nope, 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 no spoilers. I'm not listening. La, 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 la. And while Al certainly didn't invent that gag, what are the odds Bob Odenkirk and the writers of the show had Al in mind when writing that line? I would say pretty darn good if you're Bob Odenkirk or working on Better Call Saul. So if you are Bob Odenkirk or are writing on Better Call Saul, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at 347-SPATULA. We're open 27 hours a day. La, 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 la. Are you done with talking about Better Call Saul yet? Yes. Okay, cool, because I got to tell you about this really cool Al-adjacent thing that went on sale last week. You know the band, the Cybertronic Spree? Well, they just released the vinyl version of their album, Transformers 1986, which is a cover of every single track on the original Transformers soundtrack. And yes, of course, that includes Dare to be Stupid. Yeah, the Cybertronic Spree is a very cool Transformers-themed band, and they all dress up like Transformers. It's really awesome. you got to check it out. They released three vinyl variants of the album, plus they also released a limited test pressing bundle that included all three variants and a test pressing of the album with an alternate cover. And get this, Ethan, I was on the site, and within five minutes of it going on sale... The bundles were sold out. Did you ever end up getting one? 
So I didn't go for the bundle, but I did feel like I had to get something. I already have their CD. I backed the Kickstarter. So I ended up getting one of the variants. And I figured I didn't need to have all of them, you know, even though I missed out on it because I wasn't in there within five minutes. But (laughs) I feel okay because Al isn't technically on the album. It's just a cover of one of his songs. But I'm glad I got one because I checked today and they are all sold out, every variant. Now, they did mention that they would have a couple to sell at their live shows, so they're going to keep a few back for that. But yeah, if you weren't on there, as soon as they went on sale, you missed out. So I was really glad that I was actually on there at the stroke of noon, and I actually did (laughs) end up getting a bundle. And I want to put a huge thank you out there to our good friend and fellow collector, Javier Valdez, for giving us the heads up on that album release. Oh, for sure. You know, man... All this talk about Transformers in Japan is making me hungry. <clears throat> I said all this talk about Transformers and Japan is making me hungry. Oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry. That's my cue to do the ad. Since you're hungry, let me tell you that. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Dave Canyon's Dumbing It Down with Dave podcast. It's the fastest podcast on earth. Dave Canyon records from his 2008 Kia Rio LX while commuting to and from work on the New York State Thruway. Listen to Dave discuss topics including family, friends, relationships, pop culture, workplace situation, politics, and human behavior. It's all about pragmatism, truth, happiness, and the search for it all. Dumbing It Down with Dave. Listen everywhere podcasts are available and on DumbingItDownWithDave.com. Oh, I thought you were going to do a burrito burrito ad, you know, since I said I was hungry. I have some Skittles if you want them. Uh, gotta pass. I think it's time that we check out our interviews for this week. You know, Dave, we met this guy back at Forest Hill Stadium at the VIP After Show and he gave us his card and so we've been anticipating this article for a long time and it finally came out and it's just incredible so super excited to have him on the podcast so on the line with us we're really excited we have sam anderson a staff writer from new york times magazine he wrote that amazing article you know the one in the new york times magazine welcome to the podcast sam thank you very much i'm a fan of the podcast thanks for having me on that is so awesome. Oh, thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Hopefully you at least listen to this interview. Actually, you know what? This will be the one I don't listen to. Um, I ne- yeah, can't do it. But I listen to many, many, many others. <laughs> okay, before we talk about you know anything else, let's talk about our own podcast. So how did you find our podcast? Uh, let's see. Uh, I think it was because Dave gave me um, his card and it had all the podcast information on it. And then I heard about it from other people. So so when I my first bit of reporting for this profile was to go to the Forest Hills show um, back in July last summer. And um, after the show, I just kind of. I met I met Al briefly back in his dressing room, and then um, I was allowed to just kind of shadow him after the show and see what his whole VIP fan routine was, and and watch interactions between him and the fans. And you may have seen me lurking next to the table and <laughs> scribbling furiously in my notebook. Um, and uh, and at some point, and I would just chat with people when they kind of finished their VIP experience sometimes, and I think. 
it was probably JW who runs the VIP experience. Yeah, it was JW, yeah. I think, who, who introduced me to Dave. I was like, oh, you want to meet a real fan? Here's one. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I told you I was working on a profile, and you gave me your card, and you showed me your incredible uh, leg tattoos. <laughs> and uh, do your listeners know about your leg tattoos? Oh, my! our listeners are very familiar with it. They better know. Okay, okay. <laughs> Dave's leg okay, tattoos. Okay, I can remember. <laughs> well, yeah, I was very impressed by your leg tattoos, and uh, you gave me your card. And um, I think I mentioned in the email, you were on my, like, sort of, my my list of people I wanted to eventually talk to, and I just kind of ran out of time. I want to see your um, your gigantic Weird Al archive that you have in your house. <laughs> oh, for sure, I'd love it if you came over one day and I got to show it off. I love showing off my Weird Al. <laughs> I want to I want to try on those glasses. <laughs> yes, Dave has Al's actual glasses. <laughs> it's so amazing. How did you get those? <laughs> I got those. There was a, a fan convention, and uh-huh. Al donated a whole bunch of items to that, and some of the items he donated were his glasses. <laughs> so amazing. And then there was, like, an auction or something? Yeah, there was an auction. And um... and you just happened to have, like, a million dollars to buy the most sacred object in the history of rock and roll? <laughs> Oh, it's so great. You know, th- th- this stuff finds me. <laughs> I would take those over, like, I don't know, like a, one of Slash's guitars or something. For sure, I would take Weird Al's glasses. <laughs> I think we're on the same page with that, Sam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such an iconic part of Al to, to have his actual glasses that, you know, <laughs> the vehicles yeah. at which he saw the world, <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Did he bag his mustache hair when he shaved I was going to say, too? possibly he... the only thing that could top the glasses is if we somehow got the shavings from Al's mustache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the podcast is getting creepy, guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about yeah, this. Yeah, so anyway, so anyway, back to the story. I had Dave's business card, and um, on that business card uh, was the information about this podcast. And I thought, oh, I got to check that out if I'm going to try to become an aficionado of all things Weird Al so I can write, you know, what I hoped would be like the big, epic, definitive uh, magazine profile of him. So I started listening listening to that. Amazing. Well, thank you for, for checking it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, you made the right choice. Uh, I can speak for <laughs> all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I mean, yeah, it was... What better way to learn than listen to Bermuda Schwartz talk for like an hour yeah. about his whole history with Al? And, which it just occurred to me somewhere in the middle of the process. That's a joke about Bermuda Shorts, right? That's just like a dumb joke about yeah. Bermuda. Sh- yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was completely random. And then at a certain point, I figured it out. And I was like, of course. <laughs> so I, I think before we dive into the article, I, I assume anyone who's actually listening to us talking right now has read the article or heard the article on the, the podcast that was put out. I would love to know just what was the reaction to this coming out? It just came out very recently. I, I know, at least in the fan community, I had maybe a dozen people text it to me, even though I'd already read it, you know, <laughs> the second it was posted yeah. in the morning. What's been the reaction like on your end? It's It's been amazing. It's been um, really kind of heartwarming and probably the biggest reaction to anything I've ever written. Um, 
And it's just, yeah, I mean, this kind of endless flood of tweets and dozens of emails. And I think the comments on the article itself are up to nearly 600 now. And, uh, you know, texts from friends. And, of course, I mean, there, there's kind of two, two strains of it. Like, on one hand, I was very relieved to see that, you know, real Weird Al fans such as yourself, the really hardcore community, um, seems to have really appreciated it um because i was nervous about that like oh is is, are they gonna think this is i don't know dumb and ill-informed or you know you have all those all those worries but so that that response has been really great and reassuring and um and then the other half of the response which i love as well are people who are kind of like snobby cynics who are like who email (laughs) me and are like i did not i i saw this somebody wrote to me um I saw, I saw this come up on my podcast feed on the daily podcast, and I intentionally skipped it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I listened to a different daily podcast, and when that ended, yours started automatically playing, and I got totally sucked in and listened to this whole thing. And I don't wow. care at all about Weird Al, and so that I really, I really like that because I can be, you know, kind of this like evangelist um, to people who think they don't like Weird Al. Uh, that actually he is this incredible force of warmth and goodness in the world. So yeah, it's been it's been an incredible response. I, I love in the in the article you you refer to the people with the golden monocles reading the article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that phrase went through a, a few different versions. I was just trying yeah. to think of a way to, yeah, to describe it. snobby <laughs> snobby <laughs> elitists. You know, which I I swim in these like very media media the media bubble of New York City, um, and there are many 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 people who are not fans of Weird Al and would never and would not consider him worth a, a lot of real estate in a magazine like the New York Times Magazine. There was one editor who had never heard of Weird Al. What? Uh, literally <laughs> never heard of him. How do you how, how do you <laughs> I don't go know. through life? How do you become an editor at the New York Times? <laughs> do not know. I mean, Insanity. you're like uh, you're like a super intellectual and, you know, you you're like you're like studying critical theory and translating like Portuguese literature or something. And you're just like, there's just worlds just don't intersect. It's just it's so opposite from how I grew up. Right. But those people are out there and, you know. Wow. Now that kind of leads me to a question I was going to ask you is how do you pitch someone at the New York Times, the powers that be that will prove this article, that you want to do an article about Weird Al Yankovic and put it in such an iconic magazine such as New York Times magazine? And not only that, I was from the beginning was like, this is going to be a gigantic story and it's going to be the cover. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that was the plan until, you know, the whole world went into pandemic mode. It was going to right. be a cover. Right. Um, but that took, I mean, that actually took like years of me just bringing it up again and again and again. Wow. Um, uh, as, as, as the kind of like white whale of my writing career, the thing that I always, always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it really was kind of my lifelong dream as a magazine writer to, to write, like I said, the, the gigantic definitive story about Weird Al and to help people see him not as this like disposable novelty guy, but as, you know, the great American artistic genius that he is. And um, so I, I, 
I mean, I wasn't very strategic about pitching it. I think I just used like blunt force over and over again. <laughs> like I, I, I have this vision and, uh, and it's going to be like epic and great. And, you know, I have kind of a track record where I think everybody came to trust my weird visions of things. And so eventually it was kind of reluctantly, I reluctantly <laughs> got the green light. And then there were many conversations, I think, where the editor in chief was like, yeah, I think he would look at the schedule and he would say, oh, wait a second, we've got Weird Al as a cover story scheduled? I don't remember approving this as a cover story. <laughs> and my editor would be like, oh, yeah, we talked about it. Remember? Uh, so it was this whole, like, it was this kind of sneaky process of getting it assigned in the first place and then getting it assigned as a huge, like, cover, cover length story. Um, but we did it. And, you know, there was this kind of, there was this question of in, mag in the magazine world, people always want to know, like, well, why now? Like, what's what's he got going on? Like, is there a new, like, major album? Is he putting out some kind of huge film? And I was like, nope. Weird Al is <laughs> one of these icons who we don't need to come up with some kind of peg or excuse to write about him now. Right. Um, we write about him because he is who he is. And we could publish that at any moment. And um, it would have a huge impact. And I think that's true. I think I think it hitting at this moment um, it had a particular kind of extra impact, maybe. Um, but yeah, so it was you know it was a fight, and now I have this because of the incredible response. I have yet another great way to say like I told you so. Um, <laughs> right now, right. I can write about <laughs> absolutely anything in the world, even if you don't care about it. <laughs> So at what point does it not be a, a cover story? Because I, I know, like, back in January, there's the giant photo shoot. A lot of our friends flew yeah. out to California for this photo shoot. Did it get to the point of, like, being laid out as a cover before it was scrapped? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it laid out as a cover. Um, we were – everyone was ecstatic about that. Um, you know, even the initial skeptics, I think, at the magazine. Um, and it was a gorgeous cover. And uh, that was, I'm trying to think, you know, when, when the, and it was on the schedule for April and it had been for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and as the pandemic got really serious, it just became clear that like, you know, I think a few weeks before it was supposed to run, like, this is not the moment for Weird Al on a cover with a huge crowd of people all, all crowded together very right. closely holding signs that say it's a weird, 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 weird world. Right. Um, this is like exactly <laughs> the wrong moment for that. Um, and, and, and my impulse was like, yeah, that's absolutely right. Let's kick the story into the future and run this at a time when the world kind of comes back to normal a little bit. So that was my impulse. And yeah, the, the editor-in-chief, to his great credit, um, saw what I did not, which was that he was like, I think people need this now more than ever. And although, unfortunately, we can't run it as a cover, um, you know, cover or no cover, these days when everyone reads online, it's not as big a deal. It's not nearly as big a deal. So they were like 
people need this kind of counter-programming. They need to feel good about something. They need to feel happy. They need to laugh. And they need to be inspired. And this is the story that will do that for them. So let's put it out as soon as we can. So I think it got delayed a week from where it was initially supposed to go. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still, it still got that same length it would have had as a cover story. It was treated just as seriously. They ran, you know, the big crowd shot. They ran inside the magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and spread it around online with like an explainer like we we took these pictures before all of this happened uh, but yeah I felt bad for the fans because I didn't go to the shoot um, but the whole photo team did and and I know people flew in from everywhere um, I felt really bad that that it wasn't going to be a cover so hopefully people understand yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't understand. Just it, in talking to the actual people who were there, I, I mean, it it makes perfect sense. But for collectors, you know, Dave and I, we would love to see Al on the cover, you know, <laughs> just for our yeah. collection, selfishly. <laughs> I know one, one memento I want after things kind of return to normal and we have access to the office building again and stuff is I want to ask if I can get the photo department to print me out like what would have been the cover just a nice print of that to, to frame in my office oh maybe they could print a couple and then give you our address and <laughs> <laughs> maybe i can talk to amy 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 kellner is the photo editor the brilliant photo editor who's a huge fan of weird al um wow. who came up with that whole vision uh for getting the crowd of owls together with the real owl and uh, and then handled the just monster logistics of making that happen. So it was it was her baby, and she did a spectacular job. I felt bad for Amy too that it got demoted from the cover. Mm. But yeah. what you gonna do? Nothing. Yeah, you mentioned you weren't at the at the photo shoot, but were you surprised at just how many people showed up to the photo shoot? Yeah, I remember. Uh, so there were many many conversations about what the photo would be and how it would work. And, and there were all these, like, there was like intense studying of different crowd shots and um, how they looked and what would be best for a cover and so much thought and planning went into this. And then after all that, they put out the call. They had Al put out the call um, to his fans. And I remember getting a text from Amy, the photo editor, that just like instantly it was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And it was just like more people than they could handle. And they had to turn people away. It was yeah. just like instant. It was just within a couple hours or something that, that they were already maxed out. So I was surprised. <laughs> I, I know a, a few of our friends lied about where they lived because they wanted a better chance of getting in. It's like, oh, well, you no know. way. <laughs> if I say that I'm live in LA there's a better chance than if you know they see that I'm from Philadelphia you know <laughs> oh that's crazy I had not heard that um I was I was shocked that people were flying in from around the country I thought that was amazing yeah uh, and it sounded from what I heard it sounded like an incredible day it, yeah yeah everything oh, yeah. I've heard is just you know it was very well run it was you know Al was awesome and spent time with the fans and it was just a, just a really cool bonding experience for everyone involved it sounded like yeah he's such a sweetheart amy yeah. said he he stuck around you know there was this like agreement that he was not going to be asked to do autographs or pictures or anything like that because it was just too many people it wasn't that kind of event but but he ended up doing that stuff um for a lot of people anyway so mm -hmm. that's al <laughs> 
Yeah, it doesn't really surprise us as fans of Al to hear that he goes above and beyond for people like that who come out to support him. So, yeah, it's great to hear that. Yeah, everybody I talked to when I was out on the road hanging out with the crew and getting to know all those people, everybody, all the stories were the same. Like <clears throat> that I think I wrote it in my article that, you know, his desire to make all the fans happy that he ever sees is just like a real logistical <laughs> challenge on the road. <laughs> the whole crew will be loaded and ready to go and it'll be one thirty in the morning and he'll be standing outside the tour bus because, you know, like these families have waited for hours yeah. to talk to him and, and get his autograph and get a photo and he doesn't want to disappoint any of them, so... So you mentioned in the article that your first Weird Al concert was the one that both Ethan and myself were at as well in Forest Hill Stadium in New York City. Mm -hmm. What were your expectations going into a Weird Al concert? Had you done any kind of research ahead of time to know what they were about, or did you just kind of go in cold turkey? I kind of went in cold turkey. I, I do a ton of research, um, but in this case... I think I wanted to have a bit of a cold turkey experience. I write in the article about, you know, why I had never seen him, even though I've been a fan forever. And he's been like one of the most important artists um, in my life. Um, it just, as I say in the article, like parody music just didn't seem like the kind of thing you would go see live. You know, you can love it as much as you want at home. You can watch it on YouTube 800,000 times in a row and die laughing by yourself, but it just didn't strike me as like a big collective experience for some reason. And uh, so I went in not sure what to expect and not having terribly high expectations. Um, and was completely blown away by pretty much every aspect of it. I mean, um, number one, absolutely blown away by the quality of his voice um from the beginning because he just came yeah. out and you know he started this tour with that little medley <laughs> sitting on a stool and and he was just belting uh and his voice is so powerful and precise and athletic uh and i hadn't really expected that for some reason because i'm a doofus i mean you can hear it on all the <laughs> albums and everything i just didn't I, I just didn't know that he was like that kind of performance monster you know um, and then, and then the tightness of the show, uh, was unlike any rock show I've ever been to where there's just no, there's no like wandering, um, rambling speeches between songs. Um, it was funny. It was sort of like the opposite of, uh, I went and saw Fleetwood Mac a few years back and like Stevie Nicks would just sort of talk for 45 minutes between songs and oh, everyone wow, would right. be like <laughs> going out and getting food and stuff. And there, there was none of that. There was no, no wasted time at no. all. Everything was so clearly meticulously planned and executed and, you know, down to those brilliantly edited video clips that play when everyone's off getting their costumes changed really quickly um, so it really was seamless all the way through and his interaction with the crowd is just kind of perfectly timed and perfectly calibrated. And, and, uh, I was totally blown away. And I, I, it was funny. I actually had the thought before I went, I was like, maybe I should invite the editor in chief as my plus one, because maybe it will cure him of his skepticism to see this incredible performance. And then right. I thought, but what if the performance is like kind of mediocre 
um, and then it'll do the opposite. So I didn't. So I brought instead my 15 year old daughter. Oh wow! And um, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, she was completely delighted and blown away. I mean, she's been you know listening to Weird Al music since she was a little kid, but she has kind of um, more you know contemporary teenager tastes right. uh, than, than I do as someone who grew up with Weird Al. She respects him and stuff, but isn't like a completist or anything. But um, she was just like delighted out of her mind and so blown away and said it's the best concert she's ever been to by far. Um, and uh, yeah. And then he actually came out um, in the crowd during Tacky and sang right to her. Oh, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> At her first show. This was before we had met him or anything. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, I got a great picture of it. It was incredible. Wow. So it was really like a. It was a totally magical experience, and it made me so happy. You know that feeling when you're just like, you want something to be a certain way, and almost always it's not going to be that way. You have like a sort of fantasy about right. like. You know, the right. people you admire, your heroes in life or whatever. And, and in the end, they're like fallible and they're just people and whatever. And um, But this was like, it's so far exceeded my expectations. I was so pumped about it. And, and then knowing also this was the beginning of like my reporting experience. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> like this is going to be really good. Um, I mean, actually, the first the first moment of my reporting experience, which used to be the beginning of my profile, but then we, we cut it and decided to start with the concert. Um, it was my very first phone conversation with Jay Levy, mm-hmm. uh, Al's manager of almost 40 years now. And because to, to get to Al, you kind of have to go through Jay. And, and so Jay and I had this phone conversation where he later admitted he was feeling me out to make sure I, as he put it, got it. Um, you know, that Weird Al is not some kind of, you know, he's, he, he's built a career around jokes, but he's not a joke. Right. And, um, which of course I got and was able to convince Jay that I got it. And then (laughs) one, one of the really great moments of my life was during that conversation, Jay could tell that I got it. We were talking about the logistics of actually getting together with Al and me doing the profile and. And then his voice kind of changed register, and I could tell he was like, he was about to tell me something really important. He, and he said, the, the one thing you need to understand about Al is that when Al is working, he is 100% committed to his art at every moment of every day. And I was like, yeah i was like thank you lord (laughs) thank you for i was like because in my mind i was still thinking like weird al like i have as much respect as you can have for weird al but weird al really is like this you know this like long-suffering devoted artist um (laughs) and of course it's true he is exactly that um and that you know when you see him in concert you see the fruits of that approach and you can tell like this is a show that was put together by someone who's just maniacally obsessive about things being excellent in every possible way they can be excellent and who is planning um you know who knows how many months or years ahead all of these little aspects that will come together and create this perfect seamless experience for an audience so yeah i was i was totally blown away and thrilled by the show 
How, how did you guys feel? Was I mean, you've been to 800 million shows each. <laughs> like, how did how did this tour compare to previous? Yeah, maybe you're going to tell me like, oh, yeah, Forest Hills kind of sucked, actually. <laughs> I mean, I remember Forest Hills being extremely hot. It was very hot that day. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a little wind going through the stadium, but I remember it being very hot. And I remember the venue being really unique too, with it being in a tennis stadium. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was it was very unique. Um, but yeah, no. Overall, Ethan and I we loved this concert. This is the first time he went out with a full orchestra and backup singers, and we we collectively went to I think twenty three concerts on this last tour. So. You know, yeah, we had eighteen each, and thirteen of those overlapped. So. Oh my gosh! And do you guys do the VIP thing every time? Not every time. I I don't even know. Okay, I'm trying to think. I maybe did it four or five times out of those eighteen. Uh huh. And how does Al react now when he sees you guys? He's like, "Oh my god, you again?" <laughs> well, <laughs> playfully, yes. <laughs> the first time I saw Al on this tour was in Philadelphia. Dave and I went to that show together, and uh, I see Al, and he goes, "Hey, I've been loving the podcast," and I just oh, nice. I, I hadn't considered that al would ever listen to our podcast it just never crossed my mind and so i was like wow uh that's great um you know technically al you're not our target audience though (laughs) (laughs) right right and have you you have you made the official pitch to try to get al to do your podcast we have not no we we haven't asked we're we're not ready we there's so many people to talk to uh we're, okay. we're just we, we need we still need a we need to cover the baseline before we can have the man himself on so we're working towards i think that. you might be ready yeah uh, we'll see so it's only been a year of podcasts <laughs> okay okay don't, yeah don't don't rush yourself al did say to us he looks forward to coming on our podcast for episode 2000 inch which i think oh, is nice. in 37 years I think yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. He'll still be doing shows probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you asked me about the reaction earlier. Actually, the first reaction I got to the piece outside of you know, the magazine editors themselves was um, I woke up that morning and checked my email and I had an email from Al who had, I think, I mean, he must have stayed up all night. Uh, waiting for it to drop because he knew it was going to drop and he said he'd been refreshing his browser waiting for it to drop and because uh, given the given the time that it would have been on the west coast he must have been up all night he's a he's a night owl too so anyway so it was wonderful for me to wake up to an email from him um, basically just saying you know the article exceeded his all of his expectations and and he was just really grateful for it so that was that was awesome that's really cool yeah wow that's yeah. Cr- yeah that's great feedback from al <laughs> yeah yeah it was really nice so let me ask you uh, in the article you mentioned a little bit about the kind of access you had to al but what kind of access did you have to al? i mean you you were clearly visited his house you went on a hike with his family you know, mm-hmm. did you go through his garbage? What kind of access did <laughs> you have without? <laughs> um, it did not go through his garbage. So let's see. So at Forest Hills, we saw the show. Then I met Jay after the show, and I met JW. And they essentially said, um, let's bring you backstage. Uh, you can meet Al for, you know, just like five minutes. We weren't going to do any kind of interview. Just I'm the guy who wants to do this giant profile of you right. um 
And so actually my daughter and I went back and met him in his dressing room. He was, you know, uh, very polite and uh, seemed excited to do the project. And um, and then I said, if it's all right, I'll just kind of kind of hang around, be a fly on the wall during this whole VIP thing. And they said, absolutely. So I got I just kind of got to wander around. And from that moment on, it was kind of like full <laughs> access, whatever I needed anywhere they were i mean and that honestly as a journalist like that's what makes a really really good story possible yeah um is that kind of wide open access and there seemed to be from the beginning a deep level of trust um and that was just i mean that's that's just like heaven for a writer like me um and so i got to hang around till the moment they all got on the bus that night and left. And, um, and then I joined the tour for a couple of days in, it would have been August. So the month following that, I flew out to Bismarck, North Dakota and met up with the tour there, hung out all day watching them kind of set up, um, hanging around, you know, getting to know the, the people on his tour crew, Marnie at the stocking the merch tables mm -hmm. and um, and Melissa King who like runs the show and and just just Hawkeye who sets up the stage. just just all these people. I got to just like hear their life stories and, and their decades of experiences with Al and the backup singers and the band and everybody. So I was just really I was I was like on tour with them and I was just wandering around trying not to get in anyone's way, but having as many conversations as I could. And it was it was awesome. And um, and then I mean, the rule was on tour kind of Al was was off limits for me just to respect his process. He's so locked in and right. he's saving his voice and he's saving his energy. And so there was no expectation that I was going to talk to him at all. And we probably talked for a total of like two minutes um, when I was around the tour for two days, which was completely fine. But, you know, I was I just got like a, a backstage uh, view of how they put the show together, how he prepares. Um, and then the show itself, I could watch from, you know, the side of the stage, basically. And uh, sometimes I go out in the crowd and watch and and um, watch him break it all down. And then I actually because it's hard to get from. Bismarck, North Dakota to uh, Minnesota. I think it was in St. Paul, the the Minnesota State Fair. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a hard route to do. I was trying to work it out with like rental cars and flying and all this stuff. And finally, I just asked Jay. I was like, I know this is a really weird requ request, and it's probably like off the table, and that's that's a hundred percent fine. I was like, but is there any? Is there like an extra? bunk on the tour bus or something and i could just like <laughs> jump in there and I, I i like really hesitated to ask because it just seems like so above and beyond and uh he said actually you know given the given the difficulty of that route i see why and and let me check it out and so he did and sure enough they were able to clear off the bunk where people kind of throw their random stuff and i got to wow. sleep on the bottom bunk uh wow. <laughs> right the bottom bunk where you can really feel the road yeah um, yeah <laughs> so uh yeah i got to just like hang out in the bus with uh with with the backup singers and the band and al was nowhere to be seen because he just goes off to his uh private spot and and does his thing back there yeah and hang out with howard the bus driver and like it was it was super fun <laughs> that's um, amazing 
Yeah, and, and drink from a bottle of Crown Royale that had been signed by the members of Leonard Skinner. I'm surprised amazing. that lasted that long. They got that at the uh, Forest Hills show. I'm not surprised. The uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, with most tours, it would not last that long. On the Weird Al tour, it's it's going to last a while yeah. because Al himself <laughs> is not hammering stuff back. And like, right. the, as, the, as the bus driver told me uh, <laughs> when I said, what's it like driving the Weird Al tour? He said, it's like hauling a bunch of grandmas. everyone's just super quiet they're all quiet they're all polite they're just like back there like hanging out like working on their laptops or whatever then they go to bed at a reasonable hour i think um i think he said steve J was the one who uh who will he'll kind of wake up in the middle of the night and um grab a bowl of cereal and and come sit up next to the bus driver in the front just like watch the road spool out underneath him but he'll just sort of silently sit there and eat his cereal and never say a word <laughs> and then go back to bed <laughs> just like perfect steve J. oh i love that <laughs> yeah 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 that was one of the sections that i was sad to cut was i had written like a whole little mini section just about steve um because i had a great time talking to him he's such an intellectual he's such a deep thinker Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about his time in, in Africa, studying African drumming and like, wow. um, and like the sp- the great spirit of music and how that, how that moves through Al and how it intersects with comedy music. And it was really, you know, it was a really great deep conversation. And in the end, we just didn't have room for it. I'm curious about the perspective of watching the show from backstage. I mean, I've been to mm-hmm. over 50 shows. Dave's been to, you know, 200 shows that's not a view that either of us has ever had. How would you describe it comparing it to what you saw at Forest Hills? It's really fun, first of all, because like you said, it's a totally different perspective on a show. Um, You kind of see the, you see a lot of the running around and costume stuff. And I'm, I was standing like next to the Nirvana cheerleader pom poms. Um, (laughs) And uh, so you see all that kind of style, the stage management happening. Yeah. And then in terms of Al himself, like, it's just a closer view of, of, I don't know, like the, the physical effort that it takes to get through that show, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he's striding back and forth across the stage, waving his arm around on Amish Paradise. <laughs> like, uh, you know, the, the spit mists flying out of his mouth. Like, you get a really good view of that. Um, you know, you're back there with the crew, and they, they have this tradition of um, – at the beginning of the show, they all take a Tootsie Pop. So they're all sucking Tootsie Pops during the show. Uh, <laughs> so I was back there doing that with them. And uh, and they actually let me listen one night to um, – they've got these really nice, fancy, like, earpieces. Uh, you can listen to different feeds, you know, because different band members want to hear different parts emphasized right, in right. the sound mix. Right. So they know what's going on. and. And so they were like, you can listen to whoever's feed you want. And I was like, well, can I listen to Al's feed? And they were like, yeah. So I listened to one whole show hearing nothing but Al's feed. Um, And it's a completely different concert experience to hear just what he hears. And so what he hears is uh, very minimal music. Number one, zero of the symphony. He never heard a moment of symphonic music. Wow. Uh, that entire wow. tour, which he, he told me, is kind of a bummer. Like, yeah. you know, it was, it was really <laughs> right. tough to set up. And I really wanted that epic effect of the orchestra. But 
uh, it's too distracting. Like there's a different orchestra every night. They they kind of vary in what they sound like and sometimes right. in quality a little bit. And he can't be distracted by those variations because he's so locked in. And so all he really hears is, number one, his own voice is very loud in the mix because he wants to be able to monitor that closely. Um, and then he hears uh, a little bit of, he hears a lot of keyboard and some guitar and like just the tiniest bit of drums getting through for the, so, cause all he needs is he needs the rhythm so he doesn't get lost in a song and he needs to be on key. So he needs to be hearing like the keyboard and, right. and guitar and that's it. And wow. you can't even really hear the audience. So he doesn't even, like he said, sometimes he'll be doing like um, Jackson Park Express or something, which is, you know, like nine minutes. Uh, and he doesn't even, like sometimes he'll be singing and he'll be like, I wonder if anyone's laughing <laughs> at these <laughs> jokes. <laughs> because you just can't hear it. Because that's, you know, he, he has to be totally focused on the musical part of it. Yeah. So that was really that was really fun and a cool insight into how he experiences the shows. I that is really cool. I've never heard anything yeah. like that before. That's great. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing you get from, from hanging around <laughs> like that. And then, um, and then, so after I was on tour with them, as I said in the article, like I woke up on the tour bus the next morning, it was like nine thirty or something. I roll out and step outside and I'm in a completely different place. I'm at the Minnesota state fair and they're like already setting up. They've already set up the stage and, <laughs> and uh, it, it was just wild. And so I spent a day at the fair and watching them set that up and watched that show that night and uh, hung out, hung around again afterwards at the VIP um, experience, just taking notes and watching these interactions. And then um they all loaded up the buses and uh, I said goodbye and I Ubered over to a hotel and flew out the next morning. So that was my two days on tour with them. And then, and then it was in late October, I flew out to LA for, uh, to spend a couple days with Al at home, um, with Al and, and his family. Right. And uh, that was amazing too. I remember pulling up and I was a little bit, you know, like I said, they gave me, 100% open access to everything. They were very generous with that and very trusting. But I did wonder, because everything I've ever read about Al is emphasizes how private he is and how reserved he is. And, um, you know, you learn things in like the behind the music or, or the, the big uh, Weird Al book um, about his childhood and and uh, the strictness of it and, you know, the kind of pain of, of growing up a nerdy kid who's younger than everyone around you. And, and, um, and I wondered how much he would be willing to talk about that in person or if he would shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just remember pulling up to his house and getting out of my car and immediately Nina and Suzanne, his, his daughter and his wife were out on the balcony, like shouting down hello to me and like, and, and just instantly I could tell like, oh, this is a really warm, friendly, easy, like intimate vibe already. Like it was very reassuring. It really put me at ease. And I felt like this, this is going to be fun. And it was, it totally was. <laughs> and, and, and Al never, ever, ever once stopped a question or didn't want to talk about something. He was, he was completely open and willing to talk about whatever the heck I brought up. Um, which was amazing. I mean, you know, and, and he, he referred to himself 
a handful of times while we were having these long conversations as socially awkward. You know, he says, I'm still socially awkward. And um, he's a little shy, maybe, but I didn't find him. I didn't find him awkward. I found him really easy to be around. We had really fun conversations, um, especially when we were when the four of us were all together with this family. We laughed a lot. And um, but I did find like so we'd have these super deep conversations. He would tell me all kinds of amazing things and about his childhood and and um, and I remember asking. Uh, Jay Levy and Bermuda and all these different people who've been with him forever. Sometimes I'd ask him, I'd ask them like what felt like kind of a basic question about Al and his personal life. Like, does he go to church every week still? I've read that he is a churchgoer, but you know, how serious is he about it? Does he still do it? Mm-hmm. And I remember Jay saying to me, like, I don't actually know. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, Al and I don't really talk about his personal life. And, um, and we never really have. And Bermuda said that too. And it kind of surprised me. I was like, really? I mean, some of these were very basic questions. They were just like, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem, it did like never came up and we didn't like want to push him on it or anything. Right. Um, so yeah, I was really, really grateful that he was willing to get into it all and talk about whatever. And, and, um, I had fun. I hope he had fun. And I would say just reading the article, not only was it well-written and, and funny and, and interesting and captivating, you know, you really did uncover things that fans like Dave and I and other super fans were reading for the first time, things that no one has really ever gotten Al to share before. That's cool. Like what? Some of the specifics with the childhood was, was new to me, but I think the, the most remarkable thing was him going through the white and nerdy process with you and sharing those alternate lyrics yeah. and the thought process. <laughs> Yeah, that was so amazing. I've never heard anything like that before. I think the closest is some of the demos that have come out and, and recently that mm-hmm. those don't really exist. I mean, there's you know there's one of word crimes that that came out a couple of years ago, kind of unofficially. And but aside from that, like we we really haven't gotten that kind of a glimpse into Al's process and the you know really how deep he goes with these alternate lyrics and hearing those alternate lyrics i can hear it you know reading them i can Mm -hmm. hear it in my head i can hear the song you know with those and they're so funny and it it, (laughs) what was so what was that whole process like when 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 al actually you know broke out the the laptop and the document and, and was going through that it was super fun um yeah that was that was one of the things you know, when you when you go to someone's into someone's life, a lot of what you want to do is just hang around and see how they live and and how they interact with their family and what they like to do and and that kind of stuff. But one of the things I had on my list that I told them from the start was I'd just love if you would take me through your process. And I didn't know quite what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and he was like, yeah, absolutely, anytime. And, and he said, probably the best way to do it is just to go through one of my files and so pick a song. And, you know, immediately I'm like, oh, God, which song am I going to pick out of all the songs? Right. Um, but White and Nerdy struck me as a good one because, you know, it's it's one of the really, really virtuosic, great parodies. It's like one of the Weird Al masterpieces. Yeah. And... Um, and then it, it's also so full of words that I figured it would give us a good a good chance to look at you know 
his writing process. What was your decision like? Was it a split second like, oh, let's do White Nerdier? Or was that something you labored over? It was split second. He was yeah. like, yeah, what do you want to see? And he's opening up the laptop <laughs> and I'm like, uh, how about White Nerdy? Uh, and he's like, yeah, okay. So he opens it up and, and, um, and then we just spent, I don't know, maybe an hour or something going through that. Um, wow. And uh, going through that and a couple other other things that you know if something occurred to me i was like i'd be like oh do you have that and he'd be like yeah and he'd open that too so for instance he um so well the white nerdy thing was you know he he showed me the finished lyric at the top and then the lyric a bead as he put it so set side by side with the the chameleonaire original lyric so he could look at them directly next to one another and compare vowels and syllables and all that stuff right and then we started going down this huge Microsoft Word document um, just through what I describe in the article. All these, I mean, just the most minute variations on the same phrases. He's just sifting the tiniest little elements that go into every single line and phrase. And it just kind of went on forever. And I couldn't believe how detailed it was and how many alternate jokes and phrasings and words he had considered there's one line what was that line it was something about i remember the phrase mayonnaise that sweet nectar <laughs> <laughs> yeah something vector, which i think yeah. probably rhymed with like vector or something uh it was so great we laughed a lot because the lyrics are so funny yeah um and i think it was also I, I think it was kind of a funny experience for him to be showing somebody else some stranger his this you know this private process that yeah. he's been going through for all these years um and then I remember asking him about um, the famous road not taken in his career, uh, Snack All Night, the parody of Black or White. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was like, do you have that? He was like, oh, yeah. And he opened that file. And uh, he's like, I haven't looked at this in, you know, 25 years or something. It's, wow. It's going to be it's going to yeah. be pretty bad. <laughs> so, so we start looking at that and. And I couldn't remember actually how black or white, I could remember the chorus, but I couldn't remember how the verses went really. And so he started singing it for me and he sang through like the first, the first verse and the chorus and he started getting into it and doing the Michael Jackson sort of hoots and stuff. And, uh, it was really, it was really funny. Did you get any kind of indication on his writing process for the original songs? Um, I didn't actually. No, then that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think if we got any into any of the originals. Not really, no. I guess because we went through, we really went through White and Nerdy in such minute detail. It yeah. took so long. And <laughs> as I wrote in the article, my brain was starting to cramp. Um, right. uh, so no, we didn't, we didn't get into that. I would, I would actually like to know more about that. When you guys have him on the pod, uh, you should definitely hit that. Okay. Note. <laughs> yeah because i want to know more about that for sure like jackson park express where does that <laughs> how does that how do all the many variations on that joke come out of his brain right. you need a whole separate hard drive for that one right <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah i do remember him talking about albuquerque um which is one of the absolute great originals and I'm sure he said this elsewhere, but I remember him saying like he just figured he would throw everything 
annoying that he could into one song and <laughs> no one would ever want to listen to it <laughs> but it would all be there and uh that's what he did and then it became like a huge fan favorite so. <laughs> yep right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean as a, a nine ten year old hearing that song for the first time i just i remember it became my anthem and it probably still is to this day it's just it's such a great song it's so amazing yeah it's so funny so yeah i mean like i so i got to his house they gave me like a really nice tour of the house and showed me that crazy closet full of hawaiian shirts and <laughs> and, and vintage vans like racks of vintage vans and so cool. all kinds of costumes and old t-shirts and uh and uh and then we just sat and talked like with the family and then Al and I broke off to the living room to have a more like kind of formal sit down interview for an hour or so. And then we went out, Al and I went out for Thai food and uh, he drove me down the sunset strip and was just kind of like sharing memories of things that had happened uh, throughout his life at all these different places, famous spots at the sunset strip. And, and, um, and then the next day we went for a for a hike with the family that was a great time and just ended up driving all over la we actually went to i didn't write about this in the article this was a fantastic experience so i had like a list of of key places in la that i wanted to make sure i saw while i was in town and he didn't have to go with me to any or all of them but i was reading them out and and mm -hmm. one of them was his first apartment in la oh uh galmore building yeah i think that's the name of the building I, yeah, I had the address written in my reporting notebook and everything. So he's like, oh, that's not actually far away from where we are. And Suzanne was like, oh, I've never been there. We should, we should, let's go. So we drove there. And uh, so he's having all these memories and telling us what it was like when he was there. And we get out of the car and, and uh, you know, it's all like it's locked and, and we can't get in. So we're standing at the door and we're trying to get in and we're trying to like figure out how to get in and someone comes up and it's like are you guys trying to get in here and he's al's like yeah i lived here like 40 years ago and um <laughs> and uh and i just want to show my friend like you know what it looks like now and and the guy's like all right come on in so <laughs> we go in and, and we're in his first apartment building and uh He's like, yeah, here's the mailboxes. This was my mailbox. And, and here's the crazy old elevator. It's still kind of a crazy elevator. And we get in there and, and, and he's like, I was, he knows his apartment number. And he's like, all right, let's go up there. And so we go up to the fourth floor and we find the apartment. And, and uh, we had this conversation. We're like, well, should we knock? Should we not knock? And I was like, we should knock. Definitely and, knock. <laughs> yeah. So we knock. And there's just silence. There's no answer. And we knock again, and we hear like a little scuttling inside. And I'm like, <laughs> these people have looked out the peephole. Some old lady or something has looked out the peephole and, and sees this crowd of strangers. And uh, so we knock again, and finally the door cracks. And uh, it's this young, like this young, blonde, very L.A.-looking guy. And there's actually a surfboard right inside the door, like in the hallway. And uh, I was like, I'm really sorry to bother you. Um, I used to live here 35 years ago or whatever. And I was just taking a trip down memory lane and wondering if I could show my family. And, and uh, the guy's like, 
well, we're kind of, we're actually about to leave. We're in a big hurry, but I guess you can come look for like a couple of minutes. And he called back. He's like, hey, honey, some guy wants to see the apartment. He used to live here. <laughs> She's like, okay. And so he's like, all right, come on in. Very grudgingly. Um, which who can blame him? It's a weird situation. So, so we go in and Al's like, yeah, that's exactly how it was. He's like, it's a lot nicer now. Um, like there's exposed brick now and it looks fancy and like, but it's a tiny place. I mean, it's yeah. just a, a room and a tiny kitchen. And, um, and he looks out the window. He's like, yeah, there's the Hollywood sign. You could totally see the Hollywood sign. I remember all this. And the Murphy bed used to pull out from the wall right there. And, um, and then I was over kind of by the door and I said to the guy, the guy who lived there, I was like, do you know if this is weird, Alan Yankovic? And he's like, I thought it was, but I wasn't entirely sure. And I didn't want to say anything. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is. And then he's like, oh, he's like, uh, I'm a huge fan. I love your music. Can we take a picture with you? And Al's like, of course, very nice. And like, oh, yeah, of course. So they take a picture together. And it was super fun. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't. I I just couldn't find a way to quite squeeze it into the finished version of the article, so that got that got cut out. But it was an amazing experience, and you know that's like this legendary apartment in the story yeah. of Weird Al. I mean, he yeah, right. Uh, later, I was hanging out with Bermuda, and he was kind of sharing the archive with me, the digital archive, and um, and I was like, "Do you know what you guys recorded in there?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I can look it up. He has everything on this yep. insanely meticulous <laughs> right. spreadsheet." And, and so he played me the original cut of the um, Al TV theme song, which they recorded in that apartment, uh, which goes on for a really long time and has like extra <laughs> farting noises and stuff. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but all kinds of stuff happened in that apartment. I mean, the, so so it was really cool. And he said it was such a rundown building and and all his friends were very funny about how ratty that building was when he lived there. And he said, Al told me that like when eat it hit and he started getting journalists writing about him, like they would want to come visit him at home and they would come up to that apartment and be like, this is a joke, right? You're, this is part of your funny bit. Like you don't live here. You're like, no, I live here. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything else that just didn't fit in the article that Dave and I would love to hear? I'm sure there is. I was actually going to do a Twitter thread with like my favorite stuff that got left out. I mean, there were great, there were other great quotes from like secondary interviews, people that I talked to. And there was a stuff from Steve J. He said some great things. Um, and um, there were other quotes from Lynn manuel Miranda and, Mike Schur had a great riff about like adolescence and how hard it is. Um, I actually talked to Matt Groening, the Simpsons creator. Oh, wow. Um, who yeah. told me a couple cool things. Um, one, that, that Weird Al was the only thing he liked on early MTV. Um, <laughs> and two, that Weird Al is the only celebrity that makes him feel starstruck when he sees him <laughs> in the world. Uh, their kids go to school together, so oh, wow. uh, that happens at school functions sometimes. Um, <laughs> what else? Oh, I mean, I mean, so one time we went through, Al and I went through uh, like this cupboard in his garage where he's got all this old stuff that he's hung on to, um, like college homework and papers and stuff like that. Um, and I read, uh, I read, I read this whole, um, 
original speech that he wrote for like the speech team. I think it was the college speech team, high school or college. I could check. But, you know, he's a teenager and he wrote this original expository speech and actually went to the state uh, like speech competition with it uh, because it was successful. Mm -hmm. And it was a speech about the history of hot dogs. <laughs> it was all about the place of the place of hot dogs in world history. <laughs> and it was it was so weird Al. Yeah. It was wonderful. So that was another great thing that I wished I could have squeezed into the piece, but I just couldn't. And Bermuda played for me like this old scratchy recording of his high school valedictorian speech of Al's speech that he gave. So I got to listen to that whole thing. Wow. Uh, which was awesome. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he played me an, an early food medley. Um, yeah, Bermuda, I had a great time at his house, actually. Ended up being, staying there for several hours, just listening to a lot of things and talking through uh, their history together. And yeah, so one of those old food medleys was so funny. It ends the big finale. Maybe you guys have heard this, but the big finale... I hadn't heard before <laughs> was uh, uh, was Hey Jude, but it was Hey Food. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so it was like the like the the most basic atomic unit of Weird Al humor you could ever have. <laughs> hey Food. It was like Hey Food, don't make me fat. <laughs> it was incredible. I think that was recorded in. Um, at Cal Poly or in San Luis Obispo yeah. or something back in the day. So, yeah. Oh, you know, I was curious. Did you go to Cal Poly or Linwood while you were in town? I uh, didn't go to Cal Poly because that's pretty far away. But um, on one of the days I was in L.A. without uh, without seeing Al. So I hung out with him for a couple of days and I spent a couple of days kind of around. And um, one of the things I did was drive out with a friend to Linwood. Um mm -hmm and went to Al's childhood home and just kind of walked around just to get the scale of everything. I find just being like physically at a place like that, you just, you get so much information just from like putting your body there. And for me, it was like, number one, seeing the high school directly across the street as he, you know, he tells that story right. about his mom looking through binoculars and that absolutely <laughs> could have happened because it's right there. And, uh, and then, just how tiny the house was. I mean, it's just it's just such a modest kind of uh, neighborhood, and the lots are so teeny, teeny, tiny. And that little house was just teeny, teeny, tiny. And so his room inside would have been teensy, weensy. And you know, this was like this this was his whole universe, this his room basically, and that's where he became himself. And uh, so getting that sense of the scale and 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 how small it would have felt to a kid who didn't have much freedom to go out and about, you know. They also, one thing that occurs to me is um, his daughter mentioned that, that they were just talking about what they like to do. And, and she said one time they, one, I think it was one summer or something, um, Al decided to make it sort of a project to drive all over LA and try all these different ice cream shops and figure out which was the best. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we had this kind of running list of all the very best ice cream places in Los Angeles wow. and what they were particularly good at. And, and um, 
So after we had hung out and I left, I emailed him and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot to ask you, do you have that list handy? And he wrote back saying, well, it's not really a formal list that I kept. It was just kind of this knowledge base that I built up. But then he just like wrote it all out for me in like this 500 word email or something. And it was just like, it was kind of what you would expect. It was the most like meticulous, um, uh, comprehensive list of the ice cream shops of Los Angeles and which ones I should go to and what I should get. And uh, it was amazing. And he did it with donuts too. (laughs) He has a real sweet tooth. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the number one ice cream shop? I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, And the other, another tidbit that I didn't write about that was in early drafts and that I didn't write about was, um, part of his tour prep um, is he doesn't really exercise much. That's just never been his thing to go to the gym or anything. But before a tour, he gets in cardiovascular shape by going on these epic long walks around LA. Hmm. And he has a particular route that he likes to do. And it's like, I can't remember how long it is. It's a bunch of miles. And he does it often very late at night, like in the middle of the night. And, While he walks, he um, listens to the set list of the tour he's about to do. He listens to all those tracks and mouths the words as he walks all the way through the show just to build up muscle memory um, so that when he's on stage, you know, he won't ever lose that thread. So I thought that was cool. That is incredible. Yeah, that is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's, you know... I always tend to write like the first draft is like book length. Um, and this, <laughs> this was no different. So a, a lot, lots of amazing stuff kind of get drops out and you get this. Oh, I mean, the idea is you get this like perfectly condensed little nugget that never eases up and is like interesting from beginning to end. And, and <laughs> you know, and it's always sad for me the writer because i know all the things i've left out but hopefully for readers they feel like they've read something really deep and gotten this really three-dimensional <laughs> portrait of the person so if you have a book length piece would you ever put out a book yeah i would consider writing a weird out book for sure i would yeah i would like i would i would totally do like um yeah, I think about like one of my writing heroes, John McPhee, who's written for The New Yorker forever. And he he's a lot of his books are kind of slim little portraits of people. And um, yeah, I would love to do like an extended version of this profile. That's like instead. So instead of like 8000 words, which I think is what it ran at, you know, it would be like 20,000 words or something. Um, so it would be like a little novella length nonfiction portrait of Weird Al. I would totally do that. Yeah. Well, I really hope you do, because I would love to read that. I mean, I, I just right. I had such an amazing time reading the article. I, I remember it was like I woke up early in the morning. I had like some notification from someone alerting me to the article. It might have been you, Dave. You might have sent it to me like crack of dawn. I woke up. I wasn't planning on waking up that early. And I just laid in bed and I read the entire thing. <laughs> and I just I, and at the end, it's like, wow, an hour went by. <laughs> No idea. It just, it flew by and it was just, uh, I can't, I can't sing your praises enough. It was really a fantastic article and a great experience getting to read the article and then listen to the podcast reading of the article. I I mean, if you put it out in 
you know, a- another forum, I would consume it again. <laughs> okay. okay, like a serialized HBO drama or something. Yes, <laughs> or, yeah. or print it in Braille. I will. I'll touch that okay. whole thing, <laughs> all eight thousand dots. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Is that how Braille works? Is there one dot per word? I, I don't know. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, probably yeah, not. It's, it's... <laughs> I would stop at 8,000 dots, though, to, you know. I would. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. <have> my limits. <laughs> when Ethan and I were, were discussing this article when it first came out, we both agreed that it's very rare that an article of this magnitude and, you know, so well written comes out about Al that this one is one that Weird Al fans need to seek out and need to read. And this one needs to, you need to track down a copy of the New York Times magazine from April 12, 2020. And you need to put this in your collection because this is one that you're going to want to go back and you're going to want to read over and over again as the years go by. Thank you very much. Thank you. I mean, it was, as I said, it was a lifelong dream to do it. So I'm, I'm really happy I got to do it. Um, and that's Great to hear that the super fans approve. <laughs> Did you guys start reading it? And you were like, who is this guy? What does he know about Weird Al? Like, that's my thing. Well, no, you know, I was reading it. I was like, hey, this is the guy we met in Forest Hills. Like, I, I was thrilled, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> cool. I'm sure you're just as we're as thrilled as I am. But I'm so happy the article came out as well as it did because when I you know, first met you and I heard you talking about putting this article I'm like well this is going to be epic and it you know like you said you have those expectations in your mind of what it's going to be I know this exceeded my expectations so I really really like this article (laughs) thank you guys Sam for people who want more information about you and and your you know your great articles and and your work where can we follow you online uh you can find me on twitter at sham blanderson uh, Sam Anderson was taken, so uh, I, went, I went with my alter ego, Sham Blanderson. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at Sham Blanderson. And uh, someday I've got to finish editing my website and put it up and make it public, and that'll be shamblanderson.com. So I'm stuck with that <laughs> moniker now. So just type that into your, to your Google, Google box and see what comes up. So if someone's listening to this episode years in the future, head over to Sham Blanderson. Dot com. Otherwise, we can find you on Twitter and Instagram. Sham Blanderson. S-H-A-M Blanderson. This has yep. just been so wonderful. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of this with us and really for sharing such an amazing article with the world and to Weird Al fans and to the golden monocles out there who had never heard <laughs> of Al. And, you know, yeah, we got to educate them. Yeah. And I think it'd be really cool to see you know, more new faces on the next tour, you know, people who may have been turned on to Al from your article. I think that's, you know, entirely possible. And I hope so. I thought about that. Yeah. Um, I hope on the next tour, a new wave of people goes out, you know, people who were, who were fans and didn't like me and, and didn't know if it would translate to a live show or people who had no interest at all. That would be awesome. Huge. Thanks to Sam Anderson for that incredible, incredible, interview and of course that awesome article he wrote 
you know, and both of them, I learned so much. So if you haven't already, be sure to check out the highly acclaimed article. It's called The Weirdly Enduring Appeal of Weird Al Yankovic. It was published in the April 12th edition of the New York Times Magazine. And of course, it's available online at NewYorkTimes.com or in podcast form, which is really fun to listen to. In addition to reading, it's on the Daily Podcast, which is the official New York Times podcast. And of course, is available everywhere podcasts are available. Now, Sam let us know that on his Twitter feed, at Sam Blanderson, that he's posting facts that did not make it into the article. Yeah, some of them are ones he actually talks about in our interview, but there are some other ones that didn't make the interview. So definitely check them out, at Sam Blanderson. And I'm so glad that our business cards actually paid off. I mean, we (laughs) hand these things out. We must hand out thousands of them, and we never know if people are actually using them and coming to the website, you know, becoming listeners of the podcast because of the business cards or not. But in this time, Sam actually told us it was because of our business card that he was able to, you know, listen to the podcast and do some research for his article. So we're really happy, you know, that our business cards were able to pay off. One thing I loved in his article is when he talks about Al, Suzanne, and Nina took him to their favorite, get this, vegan Mexican restaurant. And he must have had his geography wrong because they live in Los Angeles and the best vegan Mexican restaurant in the world is actually located in Troy, New York. We don't know that they actually did not fly from Los Angeles to New York and go to Burrito Burrito. Now, it's the only logical explanation. That is true. Yeah, because he didn't actually mention the name in the article. Well, I know what our favorite vegan Mexican restaurant is, and that is Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York. And this week's episode was brought to you in part by the vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped in a quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at Burrito Squared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a Burrito Burrito Burrito, but every Burrito 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 can be Burrito Burritoed. You know, each week we can bring you this podcast absolutely free with these amazing guests due to sponsors like burrito burrito don Frolazzo, and dave canyon and of course every single one of our listeners and supporters over at patreon.com slash 2000 inch oh patreon helps us pay our bills and ensures that we can continue to do what we love doing and that is making these amazing fun family-friendly entertaining podcasts for you Now, if you enjoy this podcast and you want to support us in making more quality weekly podcasts for your entertainment, please consider joining our Patreon family and supporting us or even sponsoring us over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. We have supporter tiers that start for as little as $1 a month. Another way to support our Weird Al podcast is to visit and purchase something from the official Dave and Ethan's 2000inch Weird Al podcast shop. There's some amazing things, and we're working on getting a Gill and Chillo up and ready. So we'll let you know (laughs) when that is available. In the meantime, grab a t-shirt, grab some more fun stuff, head over to shop.2000inch.com. I love when our listeners post pictures of themselves with their official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast swag. Our guest on episode 47-inch, Jason Alchill, he just posted a picture of himself on our Facebook group of him and his brand new 
t-shirt and he looks amazing and in the picture he's holding the accordion that al signed for him back when al redecorated his room and he chose the lime green version of the shirt which is really cool and i love seeing the different color choices that people end up picking i love that lime green color it reminds me of this might be before your time but their group we used to have called the owl team and i still see those shirts every once in a while they were this bright (laughs) green color so i wonder if jason had that in mind when he purchased the lime green (laughs) well thanks again to jason for picking up that awesome shirt and thanks again to sam anderson all of our listeners subscribers and of course our patreon supporters and sponsors over at patreon.com slash 2000 inch and we also want to thank every one of you who follow us over at facebook at twitter and instagram at 2000 inch and for all of you guys who joined our facebook group at group.2000inch.com. Be sure to join in the conversation on social media using hashtag 2000inch and hashtag Gil and Chill. And find us online by heading to 2000inch.com. Be sure to share our posts, tell your friends about the podcast, and we love it when you leave messages for us to play on the air at 347 Spatula. Our hotline's open 27 hours a day. We also love it when you send us snail mail that says we are trending in Japan. We have one last favor of you, and that is to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice and hit the subscribe button. By hitting the subscribe button, it ensures that you get the latest episode the second it drops, and you do not want to miss next week's episode. That's right. Next week is our last episode of our first year of doing podcasts. Yes, our one-year anniversary is coming up quick, so you don't want to miss episode 52-inch. That was David Isan's No 2000 Inchi Al Yankovic Podcasto, Episodo Dupsindo Inchi. That was David Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 51-inch. It's like hauling a bunch of grandmas.